This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wheel of Horror, the podcast where two best friends spin a wheel once a week, it chooses the horror movie, and they discuss it. Today we're talking about 1977's The Hills Have Eyes, which was directed by Wes Craven. I'm your co-host, Alec. This is Joe. And Joe, we are back in Wes Craven world. We took a break <laughs> last week with Darkness Falls, and now we are back. So this is one movie you said you hadn't seen in a long time, right? Yeah, it's been... Oof. I think around the time the first Scream came out. So I was like uh, 14. And yeah, me and my friends decided that we should uh, catch up on some of Craven's earlier movies. So we saw this and around that same time we saw Last House on the Left. Oh, okay. So you just did like a whole catalog of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you'd seen Nightmare on Elm Street before that. Oh, yeah. And I saw people under the stairs and shocker i was pretty well caught up on his more contemporary stuff but hadn't seen his more uh gritty 1970s movies yet yeah and you know i had a quick question for you just before we kind of get into everything so this was technically his like third film right hmm there's another movie apparently in between this and last house on the left that has like doesn't even have a wikipedia page oh interesting i don't think i know about this yeah, god damn it, hold on, I just was looking it up, I just want to pull it up really quick. So yeah, so it's called The Fireworks Woman from 1975? Hmm, no. I, I don't know, I don't know anything about it, but apparently it's it's on Wikipedia, but it doesn't have its own page, so there's like nothing to look up, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious. Interesting, so. yeah, I, from what I understand, I mean, Craven was really trying to get projects off the ground but because last house on the left was so infamous you know he really didn't have any offers coming in and the only thing he could do was something similar because last house was something of a success the only thing he could do was something in that vein and that's how we get hills have eyes isn't that so crazy? Because I feel like in 1972, it's very different from now. Like, if somebody made a film, almost like a human centipede, like, it was so crazy that people had to go see it. And actually, I don't know what happened to that director, but I don't know. It's so weird to think that, like, a movie would be so, like, oh, my God, it's so crazy. You have to see it. It's so crazy or whatever. And then that guy would be, like, having trouble finding work after that for a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Last House on the Left's whole advertising campaign was just keep telling yourself it's all a movie it's all a movie you know you could you could find the the commercials online i'm sure oh yeah it was you know very infamous very controversial and uh yeah not only did wes have trouble people in the cast had trouble finding work after that so um it was a big deal 
Yeah, no, seriously. I mean, it's a it's a brutal movie, but this movie's brutal in a similar way. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of like I know the theme of Last House on the Left is like what civilized people will do to their uh, aggressors when they have the chance, almost like they become the monsters themselves. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of another example of that. But I think the major difference between those two movies is obviously, like, Last House on the Left is, like, these people are coming into your house, where this movie, it's like, you're almost going to their, like, world. Like, you're the intruders in this situation. Yeah, I I can definitely kind of feel the influence of Texas Chainsaw Massacre here, I think. Oh, yeah. But... You know, this is, I think, the first time I've talked to you about, a, like, a proper 1970s movie. Is that right? I was hmm. I was trying to think of some of the, the movies we've talked about, and I think this is the first 70s, certainly the first real grindhouse movie I feel like we've talked about. Ooh. And, I mean, the 70s is such an incredible decade for movies. Maybe my favorite decade for movies. Yeah. I love live events, but I hate buying tickets. The hidden fees suck, and coordinating with friends is a nightmare. I always end up fronting a bunch of money and then chasing down my friends to get reimbursed. And if they flake, I'm stuck with the whole bill. But then I discovered Fanimal. Fanimal has tickets to everything, and there are no fees. The price you see is the price you pay. Not only are the prices transparent, but they're almost always lower than anywhere else I look. And for any hot tickets, like Lollapalooza, or a Dodgers game, or a weekend concert, Fanimal is always the cheapest option. Nobody goes to live events alone, so why buy tickets alone? Fanimal's patented group purchase makes it easy. First, you set a minimum size for your group, and choose the number of tickets you want to pay for yourself. Then you invite friends. When the minimum size is met, everyone gets charged and receives their tickets. If the minimum size isn't reached in time, nobody gets charged. You don't commit until your friends do. And Fanimal has amazing customer service. Check out their hundreds of five-star reviews. The next time you need tickets, go to Fanimal.com or download the Fanimal app and sign up with code HORROR for $20 of credit towards your first purchase. Check out Fanimal and experience more. But, to tell you the truth, I was... A little apprehensive about returning to this one after so long. I mean, there's a reason why I haven't gone back to this movie or Last House in 20-something years. And oh. they are kind of, I mean, they're they're a bit rough. And they're certainly difficult movies to recommend. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, yeah. but they do have some appeal. I mean, I, I feel like they're very visceral and... They feel so real, you know, and I feel like that's where the artistry lies. Mm. Uh, you know, there's just something about these movies, you know, these early Craven movies, these these grindhouse movies of the era that, you know, you, you want to take a shower after watching them. It's so, dude, I hear that about this movie so much. I mean, not yeah. just this one, but the remake, too. People always feel like, I just, I feel like I sinned and I need to, like, wash it off. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's true to some extent. But I will say, I think that this kind of style, this aesthetic, kind of came back into vogue in the early 2000s when the remake came out. And for me, a lot of those movies were never quite able to recapture the feeling that these 70s movies had. Their grit- grittiness felt a little superficial compared to these, in my opinion. Oh my, no, dude, that's, that's like fact, man. I mean, the Platinum Dune kind of like rebrushing of all of these 70s, 80s uh, slasher 
Grindhouse movies. I mean, listen, I like the remake a lot. I actually really do. And there's parts of the remake that I even like more than this one. But yeah, dude, it does not have that same feel. Like, you know, somebody had an 8mm camera and just caught a bunch of this on camera and put it together. You know, yeah. that's really what it feels like. And the, the music, I don't want to bounce around too much, but the music is certainly some parts really are good. They remind me of another 70s movie, uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And I thought they nailed it. But then other times I was like, this kind of sounds like Charlie's Angels, like running music, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> 70s, like action TV music. But anyways, yeah, I, I similar to you haven't seen this movie probably since high school. But when Hills Have Eyes came out in 2006, I think the remake did. I saw that with my mom for some reason in theaters. <laughs> like, what the fuck? But then I was like, I want to watch the, the, the uh, original one. So I rented it, watched it, didn't love it. Mm-hmm. But I remembered it being a lot more intense than than it is. You know, I, I don't maybe in my head I just imagined it was kind of like meshed in with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I didn't really think it was that intense. Yeah, and I was actually kind of grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I it, it was much more bearable than Last House on the Left, right. and towards the end, I thought it was actually really entertaining you know spoiler alert i had a really good time with this movie and i'm (laughs) i'm glad uh we revisited it yeah and just to give my two cents on the remake i actually did like the remake also i saw it in theaters haven't seen it since but i did enjoy it i also went to see the sequel in theaters which i didn't enjoy the following year (laughs) yeah but i remember being really impressed with like the makeup effects in the remake and that's maybe an area i'll ding this movie a little bit Um, Mm. there really aren't any makeup effects you have i mean very very minimal i mean (laughs) the costumes were were looking a little bit like the flintstones also (laughs) yes yes (laughs) but uh yeah i mean uh i I thought the remake was pretty good well just really quick on the makeup from this one yeah i mean they're in the desert so it's like 120 degrees or whatever Mm -hmm. but the only person who really had any work on their face was uh, jupiter and yeah it looked like it was peeling off half the time like his wounds or whatever but right right you know it's it's funny like when I think of this movie, I think of Michael Berryman. You know, he mm. he's like on the posters. He's he's probably the most memorable uh, part of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I totally had forgotten that he's not the main villain of this movie. No, he's Pluto. He's just kind of like, he's just one of them, you know? He's like almost the least imposing of the male guys. And the main villain, the guy with the scar on his nose. Yeah. He... Are we talking about the same person? <laughs> so, so Jupiter is, um, he's like the leader. He's the guy with the scars on his face. Okay. And then Pluto is Michael Berryman, who I think looks the most imposing, but he actually does like the least amount to the actual people, you know? Right, right. Okay, I got it. I got the, I got the planets that they're named after <laughs> confusing. So the, the leader with the scars on his face, that guy doesn't do a whole lot for me in this movie you know Mm. i as far as villains go i feel like he's not uh he doesn't rank that high on the west craven villain list and and there are some great villains on that list i feel like craven does villains really well i mean obviously there's freddy and there's the scream movies but even if you think of like people under the stairs and shocker i mean he does villains really well and yeah, this guy doesn't do a lot for me. I'm I'm much more interested in Pluto, Michael Berryman. Yeah, yep, that's yeah. that time. I'm so surprised they didn't bring back uh, the guy that played Kruger from Last House on the Left. I think he would have nailed the part of Jupiter in this. Yeah, absolutely. And from what I understand, he was 
one of those guys that uh, was having trouble finding work after that movie because uh, that's a really rough role. Dude, yeah. Well, I know he did another movie called, like, The House at the End of the Road or something like that, which is kind of similar. So he definitely, he, he could do that. But yeah, you'd think that Wes Craven would be like, hey, man, you want to come do this one? I mean, I know we're all kind of struggling here since we made that movie. But but yeah, Pluto is definitely the, the guy that stands out. And he also apparently is in the sequel. So he survived the, uh, the dog attack. Yes. And uh, one of the few Wes Craven movies I haven't seen. I feel like Hills Have Eyes 2 doesn't have the best reputation and mm. um yeah just never got around to it i am curious though now, now that i revisited the first one i am too especially since wes craven actually like wrote and directed it too and michael berryman's in and i believe the kid that plays bobby's in it too so i'm kind of like all right I'm, I'm in and another weird thing you mentioned hills have eyes to the remake from 2007 apparently that was written by wes craven and his son oh interesting which yeah, you'd think it would be just characters by, but it's like, no, no, I've got another idea. But he didn't direct it, obviously, but he, him and his son wrote that together, which I found interesting. Wow. Yeah, you know what? I remember enough about that movie to not care to revisit it again. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I remember seeing it in theaters. I worked at the movie theater when it came out, and I saw it, and I was like, I am so glad I'm seeing this for free, because it is bad. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean... The basic, like, overall theme of the movie is, it's very similar to the remake, I mean, if people have already seen that, but it's just, like, a family on a road trip, they're from Ohio, they meet at a gas station, guy tells them, don't, you know, just go to California, that's where you're headed, they drive off the road, which is the, to me, the one of the weaker moments of this movie versus the uh, remake, is they just see a bunny in the middle of the road, <laughs> and they crash, as opposed to, like, the mutants actually, like, popping their tires, which causes them to crash, so that was a big difference, which I wasn't crazy about. What, what did you think of that? Uh, yeah, I was so sure, like, uh, you know, uh, spikes were going to uh, pop out of the ground or something, yeah. which is probably what happens in the uh, in the remake. I don't really remember. But, yeah, that was uh, kind of a <laughs> a strange series of events. Yeah, and another major difference between this and the remake, which I actually liked in this version more, is when they go to the gas station, um, that's the father of of jupiter so like he had this like mutant son and he was violent so we just like left him for dead and that's what started the cannibal thing versus the remake which is like their nuclear family that like survived like testing or whatever right so, right yeah i i definitely like that more yeah i thought that was a cool uh a cool little detail and again i was so sure that that guy was talking about michael berryman you know i, I was so sure that that was his son and and then uh surprised that yeah, he uh, he's just kind of a secondary villain. Yeah, I, mean, I like how they're all named around the planets. Like that's that's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, cause, except for Ruby, but yeah, Mars and um, Mercury, the kid, the guy that gets killed earlier in the film. Mm -hmm. But you know, another thing I noticed was the guy that plays Big Bob. He looks so much like the same guy in the remake. They just nailed that. Is that is that the the lead hero guy? So the guy that plays Big Bob, he's the dad. The guy gets like lit on fire or whatever. Oh yes, I remember now. He's Ted Levine in the remake, isn't he? Yes. yes. Okay. Yep. Because there were shots where I was like, Jesus, it literally looks like indistinguishable. Like they just gave him like the exact same mustache, the hair, just like his butt build, everything. But yeah, I was very, uh, very surprised. The, the, that scene though, where, where he gets lit on fire, like that was, I think even more brutal in this one than in the remake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Ugh. Speaking of the cast though, I had completely forgotten that D Wallace was in this movie. Right, yeah, Cujo and E.T., yeah. Oh, my God. She probably has one of the most, like, epic 
horror sci-fi resumes of all time. I mean, she's the mom in Critters, oh, yeah. uh, The Howling, you Rob Zombie casts her a lot. Rob Zombie also casts Michael Berryman a lot. I feel like Rob Zombie is probably a huge fan of this movie. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, Michael, just really quick back into Michael Merriman because I, I really like him. What was the first movie you ever saw, man? I don't want to tell you mine. Hmm. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bard's Clothing. The days of Hi My Name Is are over. We live in a virtual world, and our images are being shared on social media and professional pages every day. With over 1,000 fabrics to choose from, Bard's Clothing is here to tell your story through clothing. Make sure the image you want people to have of you is the one you're sending, because by the time you get face-to-face, their minds might already be made up. Quality clothing all made here in America. Head on over to www.bardsclothing.com or follow them on Instagram at Bards Clothing. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. You know, I'm not really sure. You just got a face. Like, you never forget that face. Yeah, you, I'm sure I've seen him in a ton. I actually, when I think of Michael Berryman, sometimes I think of the things that he didn't end up starring in. Like, he, he was um, deleted out of The Crow. Um, he was going to oh. have kind of a significant role in that. And I mentioned on, a, on our Wes Craven's New Nightmare podcast that Wes had an idea for him in that movie, but ended up writing him out. So... Yeah, when I think of him, I think of this movie, honestly. Mm, okay. I thought, because I, I haven't seen The Crow, man, and I saw that he was in that, so I was like, oh, I bet Joe's going to be like, I saw him in The Crow, but I didn't realize <laughs> the deleted scene. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ever seen Weird Science? Oh, not since I was a kid. Oh, dude, he's one of those biker guys at the end, and yeah, that was the first time I ever saw him, and I was like, what is up with that guy? And then, mm-hmm. you know, obviously this, too, but I like him, man. I looked into him a little bit in this film. He's still alive, which is awesome, but... Dude, he doesn't have sweat glands, any hair on his body, no fingernails. Like, he's got so many, like, you know, conditions. Wow. Yeah. I I mean, uh, I read up on, on him a little bit, and yeah, I, I, I feel for the guy, yeah. you know, but he has been able to carve out this um, 
cool little movie career for himself, so good for him. Yeah, I mean, he was in uh, One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. He's been in actually quite a lot. Yep, I was that's right. Very impressed. Yeah, he was he was great. And um, another thing I thought was kind of funny is the uh, two sisters. I always thought that like the one with the kid and the husband, like oh she's got to be like ten years older. They're the same age. D. Wallace and the other woman, uh, Susan Lanier, I think her name is. Hmm. They're the exact same age in this movie, yeah. or the 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 uh, actresses are at least. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Just little little <laughs> tidbits here. But now, yeah, have you ever been out to this area? Have you ever, like, driven cross-country or seen any of the desert? Never, and we may do something like that in the near future. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you, this movie doesn't make me want to rush out and do that this moment. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I think I've told the story in the podcast before. I'll tell it really quickly. When I drove cross-country, when I was moving out here, we were going through Utah, and uh, both of our cell phones, me and my cousin, they were both just dead. There was like a dead zone in Utah. You look to the left, you look to the right, it just looked like Mars. You know, there was no cell towers, no other cars, nothing. So we start driving, gas is getting kind of low, and we're like, uh, shit, we can't even look up where a gas station is. We just keep driving for miles, and there is no gas stations. There's no signs, no exits. We're like, uh, okay, this is actually might be a problem. So we finally get a, like one bar of service, type in gas station, and one pops up. It's nine miles into the desert, okay? So you have to go off this road, and then you just drive straight on a dirt road, looked exactly like this we get to a town it's called emory utah you can look it up it's like population 250 or something there's like little shanty houses a a church a post office and uh it said randy's gas station and we filled up there and like the sun was going down and we were just i was like the whole time i'm thinking like this is it like this is 100 percent it no self-reception gas is going down middle of the desert randy's gas station like yeah Oh, my God. You know, as someone who has only ever lived in the tri-state area and has lived half my life in the New York City area, that's absolutely terrifying. (laughs) Well, I think that's what Wes Craven was saying when he went out there to, like, location scout is they went out to the desert for two guys from New York or whatever, and their car died when they were out location scouting. Wow. Yeah, so they're, like, out stuck in that. He's like, we opened the door. It felt like we were walking into a furnace. And then when I went to go start my car up, it wouldn't start. And I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, so. Like, so much about this movie, besides the actual cannibals, uh, just terrifies me. You know, the the idea of just being trapped in the desert. And how about that scene with that giant spider? Mm-hmm. Do you know about that? I know that it was horrifying. That's about it. <laughs> Apparently, that was not planned, and they just found it. it. Was like on their gear, and they're like, "We should, we should do this." And that was apparently a little like behind the scenes thing that they just put that into the movie because they found one. Oh wow, that's <laughs> insane. Yeah, so like that. And then another little t- tidbit which I found interesting is the uh, rattlesnake. You know, at the end when Ruby takes the rattlesnake and puts it on Mars's neck. Mm-hmm. So apparently uh, the actress that was playing Ruby was terrified. She's like, I'm not doing this. Like, are you crazy? Like, I'm not picking up a rattlesnake. She's like, how about this? I'll do it if you do it. And she was talking to one of the producers, I think. And he just walked up and grabbed it immediately. And she was like, okay. <laughs> so that's why she had to do it. Because she was, like, petrified. But he, but he did it. So, But, yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, I, I give credit to craven this movie just feels a lot more ambitious than uh last house on the left i mean they always say to like young inexperienced directors don't work with kids and animals you know (laughs) and there's a baby in this movie there's two dogs there's snakes there's spiders i mean he certainly didn't make it easy on himself 
No, and also in the desert, you know, mm-hmm. like hundred. It was the summer. Apparently, they filmed in the Mojave Desert. So, like, what are you, what are you doing, guys? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's all crazy. Um, but I guess like the the remake really takes this movie and they really make it about like the privileged people and like the the. It's more of like a class thing. It feels like and. Mm-hmm. And patriotism and just, like, this is the effects of, like, war and all this stuff. This one really just seems like a group of survivors. And uh, even though it hits the same plot points, you know, obviously it's a group of cannibals. They steal the baby. They kill the mom. They do all that. But it's, like, it just feels more about survival in this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, I don't know if you remember the remake as, as well, but. Not so much. But, yeah, I'm sure uh, Craven could speak very eloquently about uh, the subversive messages in this movie like I, I feel like with all his movies even his sillier ones he can tell you about the deeper meanings i am not aware of them mm. but for me this was just like a really just kind of fun drive-in movie like i, I was i was reminded of uh what you said during our friday the 13th part three podcast where you said you you just wish you could have seen that movie when it came out Hmm. and with this movie i was like just imagining seeing it in like a drive-in or like a a a 42nd street grindhouse theater Hmm. you know it just it just made me want to take a time machine back then yeah well it's such a it's such a nice little bridge between uh, texas chainsaw massacre and halloween you know, it's mm-hmm. just kind of, it's right in the middle there. It's right before the slasher craze and all that stuff. And, I mean, it did a lot better than Last House on the Left, and it kind of did put Wes Craven on the map in a weird way. I, did, I don't, what was his follow-up to this? It wasn't Swamp Thing. There's something else. Uh, yeah, Swamp Thing. And then he actually did another movie I haven't seen called Deadly Blessing around that time. Mm, I haven't seen that either. Yeah, that movie's kind of notable. It was um, one of Sharon Stone's first movies. Ah, I know it is a horror movie. I'd like to check that one out. But uh, yeah, it, there were a few, you know, bumps in the road on the way to A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, I am seeing that now. Deadly Blessings, 1981 slasher film, yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, the one thing that really, I think, especially from the remake and from Last House on the Left, and maybe just in my mind is, I, I thought there was like a brutal rape scene in this movie. And it doesn't seem like there is. It's not like Last House on the Left. It's definitely not like the remake, which is really intense. Did you have that in your mind, too? I remembered something like that going down in the RV. Yeah. And, you know, you could say maybe it's implied, but I really didn't get that impression, and I was kind of grateful for it. Me, too. And and that's why I was also happy, like, because Wes Craven, it's like, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be, like, every movie you're making, there's just, like, a brutal rape scene in it. Exactly. And I think he was conscious of that. And I feel like, really, after this movie... He never quite gets this savage again, or at mm. least there's only brief flashes of it. You know, I would argue the opening scene in Scream is maybe the closest he ever gets to kind of this level of savagery again. Yeah, no, I think you're 100% right. It's like each movie got a little bit more, I don't want to say mainstream, but a little bit more like easily, more easily digestible for the mainstream. Yeah, and I think, you know, he had a daughter, right. and I think he was conscious of how his movies depicted violence and how women were depicted in his movies so i do think it was a conscious choice to you know i don't want to say censor himself because he was certainly against censorship but be a little bit more thoughtful you know yeah it's just like it's evident from his work it just 
doesn't get nicer for sure, but it just, I don't know, it just gets more like classy in a way. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, like Wes has a really interesting backstory. Like he was raised in this super religious household. He didn't see any movies except for Disney movies until he got to college. Yeah. And his his film career didn't start until well into his 30s, I think. I think he was even maybe even closer to 40. So, yeah, I mean, I think he matured a lot as a filmmaker after this movie. Yeah, I also heard about the way that Last House on the Left got made was he was kind of working as a prop master or something. He was about to start his, I don't know if it was a PhD or something, and everybody was telling him, hey, just like, if you want to do this movie thing, you should do it, because the PhD thing is, is not going to be fun sort of thing. It's, it's a lot of hell. So he, he started working as a prop master, and then Sean S. Cunningham was looking to produce something, and he was like, hey you say you want to be a filmmaker, go write a horror movie. And he went away and wrote in like a weekend or something like that and brought it back to Seanus Cunningham. I was like, this is actually fucking terrifying. And then they made it. It's kind of crazy that Last House on the Left was made by the future fathers of both Freddy and Jason. Yeah, right? Isn't that, isn't that nuts? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because you see Seanus Cunningham's name on it and you're just like, whoa, yeah, this this guy goes way back in this, this genre. Is that what you had heard, though, too, about the story or the Last House on the Left? Or? Yeah, I think he was an editor. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, he was just working odd jobs in the industry. Yeah, I think that's so cool. I, I don't know. I just don't know if things like that happen anymore nowadays, but I still think it's it's a cool little story. But you're right. Yeah, Freddie and Jason both came from these, these two psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> Something I love about early Wes Craven movies and maybe just kind of Wes Craven movies in general is that he allows his main characters to kind of exact a brutal vengeance on the villains of the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's going back to last house on the left and even in the future with uh, nightmare on Elm street, you think about like Nancy setting all the booby traps and in this movie, you know, uh, they have some great booby traps of their own. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, my God. When he, like, uh, they use their mom as bait. And then, it, like, that that was a little crazy. I'm glad that they didn't put that part in the remake. But, but yeah, you're right. Booby traps, brutality. It even goes up to Scream, dude. I mean, Sydney just shooting Billy in the head. I mean, you know, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's nasty. Even, like, if you look at something like Red Eye, Killian Murphy takes a beating in that movie. Well, yeah, and I think... I guess it's not just Wes Craven's most horror, but it's like, it is about like, if you're tormented by somebody, are you going to be like Batman and be like, no, 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 this isn't for me to judge them and I'll let them continue to live and maybe they'll learn or whatever. Or not in Wes Craven's movies, you're stabbing people and murdering the, the guy that attacked you. So it's weird. You think they, they never have sympathy for their aggressors, which I don't think most people would, but. Yeah, no. <laughs> there is something very cathartic about it, at least to me. There is, you know, yeah. when uh, when the people in this movie um, start kicking ass. Yeah, I mean, the way that the uh, the the movie, the way that it ends, you're just like, oh my god, he's stabbing him brutal. Like he's dead, dude. He's dead. he got bit by a rattlesnake. He's dead. But no, I, I wish that there was another little scene though. I, I don't like how that's the final scene of the movie. It's so funny how quickly they jump to credits. It's like some, like, you know, distributor was like, it cannot be one second over 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't want to see, like, the brother and sister and them all get together. They've got the baby. We didn't even know if they get the baby. The baby could have got bit by a rattlesnake for all we know. Yeah. It's like someone was like, nope, uh, the audience got what they came for. Roll the credits. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Ruby, what happens to her? Question for you. Mama June, I think her name is, or June, whatever. Mm -hmm. How the hell is she so fat? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if that 
the dogs seem like a real treat for them. So right? I don't know if it's rattlesnakes or, or what. And by the way, if the other dog died, I was going to turn against this movie, you know, I, because uh, I'm an animal lover. And, you know, there's the two German shepherds. One of them dies. And uh, luckily, the other one is even allowed vengeance. I, I, I was so happy for the the other dog to, to get even. Oh, dude, I love their names. Beauty and Beast. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, a little tidbit about that. I, I went down a rabbit hole with this movie. I looked up a lot into it. I feel like the the roles are a bit reversed. Usually, I'm the one giving all the uh, fun trivia, but you're full of it today. Yes, my Padawan. <laughs> no, but I, I looked into, uh, I don't know, I was just kind of like, I like these kind of old grindhouse movies. I like to see all the shit they went through to make it. But mm -hmm. apparently, because they do show that, that one scene of uh, the dog that's dead or whatever, they actually bought a dog that had recently died from an animal shelter, or, or maybe it was a police station, or something like that. Like a, a German Shepherd from a police station that got killed, and then they they just bought it and, and shot it. I was like, oh, like it was wow. already dead. It was already dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. That makes sense because, um, you know, they only show it briefly, and I I felt the the death of the dog was handled tastefully and and done <laughs> off screen, but uh, it was a pretty convincing prop mm -hmm. so the fact that it wasn't a prop that's not surprising right so yeah i was just like yeah that looks very real all the 70s movies do with the exception of blood i feel like everything looks real in the 70s movies just the way it's shot but blood always looks like crap kind of <laughs> yeah i'm thinking like dawn of the dead uh, that one's noticeable, yeah, yeah. But this one, the only time, I, I mean, the, the blood went the uh, the hand palm or whatever. That looks pretty real in this movie with on the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You got any uh, any last minute thoughts on the Hills Have Eyes? Hmm. I think this Craven guy has potential. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this movie may not be as infamous as Last House. You know, but I think it's more entertaining. It's more ambitious. Um, I would definitely recommend it to, like, fans of Grindhouse Cinema, Texas Chainsaw Massacre fans. You know, like I said, uh, you know, I wasn't really looking forward to revisiting this movie. There was a time when I was younger where if a movie had an infamous reputation, that was kind of a draw, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, I've gotten older. I'll probably never see... I spit on your grave or, or cannibal Holocaust, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I don't really have an interest, but this was not as grisly as I was expecting. So uh, for me, that was a good thing. It was still plenty brutal and uh, plenty entertaining. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. It's funny, the, the exact same movies you said, cannibal Holocaust and spit on your grave. I'm like, yeah, I, if I missed him in high school, I don't think I'm going to watch him now. Yeah, unless the Wheel of Horror tells me I need to, then I will see them. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking, like, we just do, like, a wheel. It's, like, just ruins your life wheel. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, it's, this is, I mean, in I think it's in my top five Wes Craven movies, I guess, or maybe, like, Ideas. Mm, um, that would be That would be a pretty fun podcast in itself. Yeah. Top five Craven. Well, we do have a, a surprise coming out in November, so we'll uh, we'll announce that later. But that might be uh, something we we talk about. Ooh. Anyways, uh, yeah. What do you say we spin the wheel? Sounds good. All right. We don't we don't have very many left, so let's let's see what we get. Ooh. Okay. I've never seen this one either. Dead alive. 
You know this one? Oh, yes. And honestly, probably saw that around the same time as The Hills Have Eyes, you know, probably with my high school friends. So it's been a while. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm really excited. Peter Jackson, like, I want to see before Lord of the Rings what he was up to. We also, I think we have a guest for this one, uh, my friend Robert. I'm going to see if he's still around to do it, but uh, hopefully he can. And um, yeah, everybody, thank you very much for listening to our discussion on The Hills Have Eyes. If you haven't had a chance, we released our episode on 4th of July on Friday, so you can check that out. And uh, last week we released uh, Darkness Falls, so check that out. I kind of feel bad about all the shit talking I was saying about it, because people actually really like that movie, so uh, sorry. Oh, really? Have people been pushing back? Not really, but people on Twitter, like, right when we announced we were releasing people were like, I love that movie, and like, there was a bunch of people like, yeah, that was so good when I was a kid, and I'm like, oh god, guys, get ready, because I I don't think we were too tough on it. No, 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 yeah. If you want to hear bad, go listen to my uh, 2022 Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode, that one. Yikes. Um, But anyways... Thank you, Joe, for all of your insight on this. Hope you had enjoyed revisiting Wes Craven again. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much, and we will talk to you guys all next week with Dead Alive. Later. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 